Happy New Year, Momix fans. Thank you for tuning in to our first episode of 2021. And as you probably would have guessed, woo, nice one, Marissa. This episode contains spoilers for the 2008 comedy Forgetting Sarah Marshall, as well as some strong language. But if you are not going to cry about that in your bed shortly after breaking up with your long-term relationship partner, well then, please enjoy the show. Okay, are you ready for my uh, best Hawaiian Airlines flight attendant impersonation? Sure. Aloha! (laughs) That's like not even an exaggeration. I mean, obviously it was over the top, but so was them. So were they when uh, when we had the benefit of going to Hawaii uh, in 2020. RIP. Yeah, we did go before 2020 really happened. We went in January. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. it seems like we went 10 years ago, but it was a really cool trip. And I'm sure our family and friends are tired of hearing us talk about it. <laughs> it's like we're like those know, annoying people that go right. there and then come back to the mainland and talk about our trip to Hawaii. 100%. I'm totally self-aware of how annoying it is. Yes, I, I am as well. And that's why we're getting it all out of the way right now. We went to Hawaii. It was amazing. If you haven't been and have the benefit of going someday, please go. Put it on your bucket list. It's amazing. Mahalo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now that we have that out there in yeah. the open. Let's um, talk about who we are. Oh, yeah. That, that too. Um, who are you? I'm really, Pat. it's time for My name is Pat. New Year's Reflections. Who are you really, though? I'm Pat. <laughs> Jesus. And you are? I'm Marissa. And we are your hosts. Ah, see, we tricked you. We knew who we were all along. Uh, We're the hosts of Movie Mixology, a podcast for amateur bartenders and movie lovers alike, where each week we take a film and then a drink that is from or inspired by said film, and then we enjoy both. Were you expecting me to say something else there? It's 2021. If you want a new catchphrase that's grammatically correct, we can go for that. Hmm. (laughs) All right, moving on. Uh, I think that, uh, yeah, we enjoy both. And in this time, this week, our first episode of 2021. Oh, man, you should still say it. Say what? The, the line that you made up the first episode and have been saying since. It's part of our show What now. are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Surely I don't. All right, if you don't say it, then I'll say it. I, go ahead. You, it's a free country. Where we enjoy both. Very, very greatly. Oh, wow. Oh, wait, but I need to get my voice a little bit deeper. Where we enjoy both very, very greatly. What the hell is that? (laughs) I bet you sound like a 90-year-old British man. Yeah, what the hell was that? Um, that was my (laughs) I'm not Sean Connery. What the fuck? (laughs) Okay. So, yes, our first episode of 2021 and the drink we'll be enjoying are... Respectively, the film and drink are Forgetting Sarah Marshall and the Mai Tai. Now, here's something that we should get into right away. I fucking love Mai Tais. They are delicious. The one I'm drinking right here is the first one I've made myself. Um, We had plenty when we were in, when we were on a vacation once. (laughs) And I think that it, it, it really, really struck me just how easy to drink they are and how easy it is to kind of not realize how much alcohol you ingest because it's primarily, you know, syrup and a lot of mixers with only, you know, depending on how strong you want to make it, some rum. So the recipe that we used to make this Mai Tai was we used an ounce of some white rum that we had laying around, um, an ounce and a half of sweet and sour mix, and then a half ounce each of Orgeet syrup, which I had not used before and had to really, you know, scour total wine to find some, but thankfully found some. <laughs> and uh, a half ounce of triple sec or Cointreau, whatever you've got, right? And then you mix that in a cocktail shaker over ice and you strain it into a cup full of ice. 
that's what we got here. And man, it, let me tell you, they are delicious. But what I didn't realize is that in this movie and the way I totally understood the Mai Tai was made was that you needed to have pineapple juice with it. But apparently, that's a myth. You can totally add it and it would probably taste still really good, but you don't necessarily need it. Like those ingredients that I have, that's like the scholar textbook way of making one and it still tastes great. But I guess we don't really need pineapple juice like Jason Siegel drinks in this movie every day at breakfast while he's getting over his depression. I think the reason why they have pineapples on his, I mean, I think you can make it with pineapples and probably made a lot that way, but um, in the beginning, of, towards the beginning of the movie, he asks um, a waiter for um, just rum and... With some pineapple with juice. With pineapple juice. And so it's like, <laughs> that's basically what he wants is to drink, but he's like, well, so I have some pineapple juice too, you know, right. to make it sound better. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's really a great part of the movie. Um, and the, actually the scene where they say my, my tie morning, my tie out loud is, um, the first time that, um, he actually stops uh, drinking. Yeah. Peter, it kind of, it's a sign, it's a sign in the movie that he's getting over his sort of depression about breaking up with Sarah Marshall and he actually says, you know what? Actually, I'm good. I'm not going to have a drink this morning. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah, the waiter that he, you know, almost got into a fight with over some <laughs> weird random relationship that he's developing with Rachel, who we'll, we'll talk about Rachel and Sarah and Albus and Jonah Hill's character, who I don't even know if he's got a name. I don't, I couldn't tell if he did. Maybe he is on IMDb, but um, yeah, we'll talk about all the characters because they're all just really funny Kind of like great characters. And for our listeners uh, who are wondering, we did watch the unrated version because it does have a couple of extra scenes that we thought were really funny. So if you watch this movie, try to watch the unrated version, um, just in our personal opinion. Yeah, guys, watch the unrated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because I was uh, not making fun of Patrick there. I was just more making fun of like myself. And like, I remember... Back, I don't know, probably when this movie came out, but for like a good 10 year stretch when all these Apto type movies and his movies and movies that were modeled after his movies were coming out, I would always go to this, you know, I loved looking at all the DVDs, whether it be at Blockbuster or... CD Exchange. Yeah, and you'd always see like the movie and then you'd see the unrated version. It always seemed like so illicit, right? Yeah. Oh, that must be for like cool people, the unrated version. Usually the word unrated was like <laughs> censoring somebody's yeah. private parts. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're so right. Um, and now that's not really a thing anymore because, you know, you have unrated stuff on TV. So it's not really, maybe it is and I just don't pay attention to it anymore. But Well, yeah, it's called Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> it's just whatever unrated about it is is put out there for everyone to see and you don't really have a choice. You either watch the the movie or show, or you don't, you know, in all of its glory. Right. I agree. Step it's, forward for America. It's all part of that whole 21st century comedy thing um, that's basically ever since American Pie onwards, that's mm-hmm. been a big deal, drove a lot of sales. But yeah, I think in this movie, in not all movies, does it really do anything other than add like, wow, maybe one more scene of nudity needlessly or a couple of more scenes of them cursing a lot. Um but I think what some smarter comedies sometimes do, quote unquote, smarter, more um, James L. Brooksy kind of have some feels in them type of uh, comedies, i.e. Judd Apatow-esque movies. Um, they kind of all, <laughs> when they do unrated, they, they usually hide some stuff that it, they just couldn't make it for runtime or yeah. you know, it doesn't necessarily add anything to the plot, but maybe had like a good physical comedy scene. Um We'll talk about, I think, one of the most beneficial scenes that they added in this movie in the unrated version, which is the yoga scene, and uh, yeah, and why we think that that makes the unrated version a little better. So before we get into all that, though, and possibly during while we get into all that, though, we're going to talk about the three things that we have to discuss about this movie, just absolutely on the tip of our tongue. Our longtime listeners will tell you what time it is. Time for Triple Shot. It's time for Triple Shot. 
All right. New year, new me. So I'm not going to be a selfish jerk and go first. I'm going to let you go first, Marissa. Which pretty sure we take take turns, but thank you. <laughs> I know. I just wanted to say hashtag New Year, New Me. Oh, okay. Was that you know? Yeah. That a little forward. No, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> very very greatly. So go ahead and start your um, first shot, if you will, please. What's the first thing that you have to discuss with forgetting Sarah Marshall? Um. So I especially, I mean, there's so many funny moments in this movie, but I especially like the montage and moments right after um, Peter is going through his breakup after Sarah Marshall, played by Kristen Bell, breaks it off with him. And he's, you know, meeting um, his friend, his stepbrother, Brian, um, who is played by Bill Hader at the bar. And like, he's like, I got to get over her. So I got to, you know, see other women. And all that, um, but eventually just kind of devolves into him being at home, like in his robe, watching sad movies and eating cereal. Um, but one of my favorite <laughs> scenes is when um, Bill Hader's character, Brian, like busts open the door with the help of Peter's landlord. <laughs> and it's just like tragedy, like the whole apartment is a mess and all that. And you get like a sense of this character is really going through a tough time. But the funniest part to me is like the choice of music in the background. Like, yeah. so first you they go in and they're playing Sinead, uh, is O'Connor. that O'Connor's song, Nothing Compares to You. <laughs> and then they're, they start playing the Smiths, which I think is There's a Light That Never Goes Out. And, you know, if, you're, if you were never a, an angsty person or you never went through one of those periods, you probably wouldn't pay much attention to that. But there was definitely a period of time in my life where I listened to both of those artists within the same hour time frame. <laughs> and so it really hit home for me. I was like, this, they know what they're doing. Like yeah. with this double feature of the Smiths and Sinead O'Connor, like it just was so funny to me. I was like, this is perfect. And, you know, because it, it's so true now when I, I, I definitely like when I was a young teenager young adult whatever i would listen to the smiths all the time and like even Sinead o'connor like i was like oh yeah you know this life is you know it's all so dark and you know going through my angst some angsty times you know and and it's like now when i listen to them i still love both of those artists but it's funny it's like different experience now that i feel like i'm older and, and more into like not you know being so counterculture or whatever. So, you know, it's like listening back to those songs reminds me of a, a distinct time in my life. And I think that for, at least for Peter, this was a very distinct time in his life where he was going through sort of not only a breakup, but trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life and kind of realizing that he didn't, he wasn't really fulfilling his potential. Like there's a lot of things going on more than just the breakup. Um, and I think that, it's just such a funny song choice. Like both of them, it's just hilarious. I think you're. That's so. <laughs> that's amazing. I, I heard you perk up during that scene when we were most recently rewatching this, and I thought I never even caught that. You know, yeah. normally I'm pretty, you know, trying to pay attention to the music as much as possible. But man, I didn't even catch that. You're absolutely right. The attention to detail right there is just so great. I mean, I'm sure that this was probably, um, you know in some ways influenced by personal experiences because that is just so oddly specific. Yeah. <laughs> that you have to like have had that experience firsthand in order to write that from your mind to this page. It, and yeah, and it's such a, such a great scene because as he's listening to those songs, you know, making his cereal and Brian busts through and is like, dude, you need to get your shit together. Like, oh my God. it's just such a funny scene anyways. But uh, and I love with that those scene. songs in the background, it's even funnier. I love that scene, especially because you have the, the great scene that, I mean, it's like he comes over and he's his brother and he's like, obviously the more like settled down, sensible, like I, I need to like tell you what to do right now because I have more you know, direction in my life mm -hmm. than you do right now. And he's just like, <laughs> she goes, he goes, Sarah's better than Lisa. Yeah, his, his uh, brother's his wife. His brother's wife. And he's like, you really want to do this? <laughs> and then there's like a pause and he's like, yes. He's like, <laughs> 
we're not even blood. Yeah. I should have no problem just sticking you. The mother of my unborn ch- yeah. child. Or oh, my yeah. God. Hater is one of my favorite actors just in anything. Yeah. I think he's just one of my favorite all-time actors. and He's hilarious. I think he just does some incredible work in just a few short scenes, which oh, yeah. I'm going to get into in one of my shots. Okay, good, because I wanted to talk about him and his wife some more. They're some of my favorite characters in oh, this movie. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. Um, I love that. And my first shot is um, also kind of like about the relationship, his relationship woes somewhat. Um, I think that this movie, interestingly enough, seems to be very aware of the, like, the double standard in R-rated comedies um, about nudity. Mm-hmm. Because so often those same types of comedies, the same, you see at CD Exchange, they have unrated version comedies that started like in the 80s with Animal House and Revenge of the Nerds and all those, you know, and are still being, or not being made anymore, but were being made until very recently. Yeah. Um, all those movies have a feature female nudity a lot, you mm-hmm. know, and, and never for a reason other than to just, you know, just have it. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't add very much to the plot other than maybe show some of the characters are kind of lecherous older men or younger men, whatever. Uh, that's that's whatever, you know, that, that definitely, I don't really pay attention to that kind of stuff when I'm watching these movies because I think that they're so much better than that and some movies can be a lot better than that. A lot are not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some movies are just trash for yeah. and have the trash in it. But uh, I think this movie is that example of something that can be better than just having nudity in it. And it has both male and female nudity. But I think in a time when uh, male nudity was not really as accepted or really like thought of as, um, you know, expected at all. I still Mm -hmm. think it it has a long way to go. But I think this was like pretty huge because there are like two or three (laughs) scenes featuring Jason Segel's dick in this movie. Yeah. And I mean... It it, it kind of comes out of nowhere because it's so early on in the movie when he's like is getting broken up with in the most emasculating way possible. Mm-hmm. So not only does he like actually take the ability to, you know, have a be in a, write a movie and star in a movie where you know he shows male nudity, but also like he's able to have it in this really like just non macho thing the complete antithesis of all the way female nudity is often displayed in these movies and i thought that was super interesting again it comes up at the end when he's kind of like just in this most vulnerable place and rachel comes into his dressing room and he's naked there and he like covers his privates even though they've already you know done it by that point in the movie but it's just it just shows that like he wanted i think this is my theory that he wanted to kind of like show um you know Male nudity shouldn't be a double standard. With female nudity, you can show it and you can actually show it as like a plot point. It's like he's vulnerable in those instances as opposed to just showing it, showing boobs and butt and mm-hmm. penis for the sake <laughs> for the sake of doing it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think that's such a good point because it he it's it shows a point of him being vulnerable and also it's for humor too because it's like when he just she, bends over. She come, that's funny too. But when she even like when she comes in to tell him like I'm breaking up with you, he's like, "Look what I have for you," and he's like being goofy, and it's like showing that. <laughs> Wait, he, can you do that again? Yeah, the look what I have. I have a surprise for you. A whatever. Surprise he's like, for you. Yeah, he's like shaking, and it kind of shows you like how he views a relationship as like, oh, we have this thing where we can banter and have fun, and she's like on complete opposite of the spectrum where she's like no i'm ready to break up with you so it's like part of the plot and shows you a lot about the characters just you know how they interact when you know they're in that situation and also like you know just because it's funny like the way that he (laughs) acts around it and it really is like um a great yeah i I totally agree with you and it is shocking like because i didn't remember seeing that much like male nudity when I'd first seen it and I was like is is this just the unrated version or what but I think that um like it just was hard to believe that you know in 2008 they were showing all that because in my mind it was like not until really Game of Thrones kind of era that you started seeing a lot more male nudity and stuff um, yeah and even that is I think kind of you know nothing compared to the amount of female yeah. nudity oh they completely show agree show. I completely you know? agree um, but still, even I mean, it it is 
to me that was like a stepping stone and now it's becoming much more like Westworld shows male nudity all the time and mm-hmm. HBO's just kind of become like yeah we love male nudity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Again, we're not sponsored by HBO Max, but yeah. you know, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Yeah. Um that's such a great point. I think yeah, when I saw it, rewatched it with you for this, I definitely was like, wow, I don't didn't remember that and for that, you know, being 12, 13 years ago mm-hmm. now. 2021 um that was a big deal i think yeah uh what is your second shot okay so my second shot is um how they satirize crime shows um so good (laughs) i think the first couple i've probably seen this movie like three or four times and the first couple times i watched it the crime show satire bit kind of was less at the forefront of the comedy than some of the other because you're paying more attention to what's going on directly with Peter's character and stuff. You don't really catch all the, you know, jokes about crime shows, but it's just when you, you know, can settle into this movie and watch it so many times, you start to pick up on all everything. And I think this crime show scene of the crime. (laughs) Yeah, for the listeners, they actually have a CSI law and order type spoof uh, called Crime Scene colon scene of the crime yeah it's crime the funniest scene, scene of the crime yeah <laughs> and it's the show that sarah marshall is a star on along with billy baldwin <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's the funniest part and um and they like do like a bunch of and jason siegel's character peter writes the music for it and it always has to be like dark and ominous and and they show like how she's like the sexy main cop character and then there's you know, this dark and dramatic music and there's always these like terrible lines like, well, looks like he's not doing this today or whatever when they look at the dead bodies. Right. And But it, it's like spoofing crime shows, but it's very accurate <laughs> to like how crime shows. And I think not so much now, but from the time period from like 1992 to probably like 2012, like just a few years after this came out, it was like, there were a ton of crime shows and those were the main shows that people watch. Like people Procedurals. love Law and Order. Criminal Minds, I mean, I can't tell you how many like people I remember that would just talk on and on about. Those are great shows. Like, don't get me wrong. I enjoy them too. But it's just funny. Like, I think poking fun at our culture's obsession with those shows and um, you know, I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine did it really well when they like satirized it, the genre into a comedy show. A hundred percent. Um, and, and I think there's been more like satire since then, but I think that this movie does it in such like a funny way and putting it into the plot to where Sarah Marshall, that's like where she became a star is, is from this kind of ridiculous crime show. It's just a great bit that kind of carries through the whole movie. And not only that, but like everyone in the show, except her, thinks the show is bad. Yeah. Like (laughs) she's the only one that doesn't like realize that the show is bad. She's like, I thought we could last one more year when the show gets canceled partway through the movie. And like, you know, even her new lover, Aldous, is like, yeah, it's it's bloody awful, you know, <laughs> yeah. to quote him or whatever he says, right? And and they're all it's just like I think that the 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 meta joke of them taking it so seriously and the show is serious and it's maybe even that I think if you wanted to extend that to like the message of the movie, they're so aware that it's bad that that probably causes some of Peter's onset um, you know, lack of depression because as we look or not lack of depression, but rather depression that he kind of has prior to the breakup. Mm-hmm. Because we we learn in one of the climactic scenes when he has a fight with Sarah that he was in a slump prior to their breakup and that the, that was kind of the breaking point for Sarah in the relationship. Um, you know, they show that montage of him uh, wearing the same pants for a whole week and then he goes, oh, but, you know, if they're Kirkland brand or Costco brand, then it's not okay or whatever Yeah, because he, he says, like, if they're, like, high-end joggers, yeah. then they're fine. Well, now we call them joggers, but back then, I don't know if they did. But but if they're Costco brand, then it's not okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a great joke. Yeah, but I, I so think, true. I think that that is probably, you know, uh, another thing that he was being impacted by, that he had to work at this job doing something that, he knows is bad, not really fulfilling artistically or otherwise, 
when his dream is to do something that he himself creates wholly, 100%, doing his own thing. And that is like a very cool end message at the end. And, you know, it really sets the tone for the last few minutes of the movie when he realizes that dream. Yeah, I think it's so cool that this movie is not just like a romantic comedy, even though that's it's got a lot of romantic comedy elements in it. It's also or just a, a hard R comedy movie, but it's also like a movie about somebody getting over some issues and getting over a slump and finding a contentment in themselves and with their own self and kind of like reminds me of uh, bridesmaids in that way too it's about a woman getting over a slump <laughs> yeah another great apatow produced with some james l brooks vibe and another movie that was written by its lead star yeah so yeah a lot of similarities there um my second shot and this will probably take a few minutes because we mm-hmm. got a lot of things to hit here but i'm sure you wanted to talk about some of these too because you know we have similar taste but um, the supporting cast in this movie mm-hmm. is absolutely top shelf. Oh, yes. I mean, <laughs> everybody in this movie has, you know, that is not one of the main characters of Siegel, Kristen Bell, Mila Kunis, and, and uh, Russell Brand. Everybody else only has one or two scenes, three tops. Yeah. And they have some hilarious moments in all of them. Yeah. They're, uh, I don't know how much of it was written and how much was ad-libbed, but... It was, I mean, you can tell that just the the chemistry of bringing in like really good comedians yeah. to do <laughs> just a few scenes is great. I mean, we already talked about Hater a little bit, uh, him and his wife just Zooming, not even Zooming, Skyping back then or, or Apple video calling, whatever was around before FaceTime. Yeah, his wife, Liz, her her real name, the actress's name is Liz, Liz Kachowski. Liz Kachowski. And they play like a fantastically married funny married couple. And contrast them to like the newlywed Christian married couple that like doesn't know how to have sex. Yeah. And that's hilarious. Played by Jack McBrayer and Maria Thayer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And their names, it's funny on IMDb, the character names are Daryl, it's spelled like Daryl and Wyoma. <laughs> <laughs> Very uh, that's, fitting. That's great. Oh, man. But yeah, I think. So I I think in in order of like my favorite Wait. contributions. Oh, but we also have Paul Rudd's character. I Chuck. was gonna say oh, yeah. Okay. In, in the order of them and my favorite and contributions to the movie are, are probably Hater, and then it, it 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 waffles back and forth for me between Rudd and Hill mm-hmm. because I think they're both just so great. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Rudd. Paul Rudd can do no wrong, man. That dude is just like the coolest and he is so good in this movie. Him and Siegel just have such good chemistry, uh, even in like two short scenes and they carried that over in one of my favorite movies, I Love You, Man, Yeah, um, which is another great comedy of this time period. Um, I think Paul Rudd is truly America's sweetheart. I think usually we give women that title, but I think Paul Rudd is... Is up there. Everyone loves Ant-Man. Yeah. I mean, the dude's just funny and he has a good heart and he's a nice person. Watch his Hot Ones episode. It's pretty <laughs> great. Shout out Hot Ones. Um, And and then Hill. I mean, just... <laughs> I mean, Hill's America's other sweetheart. <laughs> his deadpan comedy is just the funniest. Like, even from the first scene where he's just like, are you going to be with your wife? Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm alone. Really? You sure you want to eat here? I mean, you're just going to be alone and sad. Yeah. He's like, he takes him to the table and he doesn't relent. He's like, you know, because he earlier asked him, like, do you want a magazine? Like, I'd be so <laughs> bored. And then he takes him to the table. He's like, I'm just, I would be so depressed. Yeah. Like, he's just it's so funny. the nail in further. Oh, my God. It's so good. And uh, his whole, like, like fetishizing adoration for Aldous yeah. Snow is just a really funny bit that they played through the whole the whole movie up until the very end in the unrated version where he's like where he's like man fuck you i can't scream right now because if i do i'll get fired i need to pay off my student loan. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so oh good. my gosh 
It's I'm so sad so that they cut that scene because that is like one of the funniest scenes. Oh, it's unrated. it's so it's so yeah. funny because they 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 do that and then they backdoor pilot like a bunch of other movies. I love you, yeah. man. Get him to the Greek, which is a spinoff of this with him and Brand. Oh, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yeah, but I didn't. It was so long ago. I didn't realize it was a spinoff because I think I saw that before I saw this. Yeah, they they play the same characters, and so it's wow. like. I mean, all of these like relationships do so well. Like, if you told me that Hater and Lisa had their own spinoff movie, I would believe it because <laughs> you and they just do like some hilarious video calling. Yeah. Um, and then the last supporting cast member that is not in the original movie is Kristen Wiig. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that scene is so funny. I call it the passive aggressive yoga instructor. Oh yeah, it's so great. So for those of you who have not seen the unrated version. Shortly after um, uh, Peter, Jason Siegel's character, drinks his first uh, morning Mai Tai, basically, you know, just rum and pineapple juice to, to get depressed and drunk, um, she, he goes to a yoga class, right? And they cut this scene from the final movie. Um, but the yoga class is led by Kristen Wiig as a yoga instructor who's like, just like so passive aggressive, like you said, that's the best way to put it. And she's like, you know, I know that's not, I know that wasn't juice in yeah. your cup. And, <laughs> yeah. and then she's like, I like your hat. And he's like, oh, thanks. Please remove it in my <laughs> studio. And it's so, so funny. And the the entire uh, yoga scene becomes like super awkward because Sarah and Aldous are in there and he's trying to get away from her. But he then tries to like do all this one-upping by doing yoga poses that he can't physically do. <laughs> yeah oh my favorite part is when um she's like all right now everyone we're gonna do a handstand but she calls it like a fancy yoga term tripod like, headstand yeah tripod <laughs> tripod that was probably ad-libbed it had to be and so she's like all right class we're gonna do this and you know the whole time she's got this really calm yoga instructor voice that's why it's so funny because she like can't let go of the calm voice even though she's being passive aggressive and she says Okay, well, you know, if you can't do this pose, there's no shame in just going down to child's pose. There's go no shame. And then pose. she's like, all right. Uh, she keeps telling Peter to like go. To, he's, she's like, all right, you know, sir, you might want to go down. There's no shame. No shame in just doing child's pose. And he's like, you know what, lady? Like, I can do it and stuff. And she's still just maintaining this calm voice. And then she says something like, you all heard me say, though, right? That he <laughs> yeah. could do child's pose in case, you know, he breaks his neck and yeah. he might get sued. Like, yeah. It's so funny. Um, cause it's so realistic. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like some of, I'm not really a huge fitness class person, but some of the ones that I've been to in my time on this earth, uh, are, I feel like very well satirized by Kristen Wiig in, in the, in this, because it's pretty true to life, there huh? is like a air of like, well, we have to maintain this like positive vibe the whole time, even though like everyone's like in pain yeah because dying <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's just great just breathe you know yeah. so i thought that was really funny and it's funny the physical comedy yeah of peter trying to do all this stuff that he physically cannot do because you know his ex-girlfriend's boyfriend is able to do the yoga perfect skin and form <laughs> yeah <laughs> Oh yeah. my god! I, you know what's funny is that that passive aggressiveness. That's another thing I think that they you know backdoor piloted in a scene that they ad libbed in Bridesmaids. The uh, the the passive aggressive one upping speech. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> Kristen Wiig's really good at that like low key comedy. That but it's like the subtleness. Yeah. yeah, it it's it's so funny because it's I think it's one of the more relatable forms of comedy because you're like oh yeah like. Um, that happens, you know, the the kind of scenes that she's in where she's doing these passive aggressive stuff is like very real and and uh, true to life. So it's it's even funnier. She's great at sat satire. I mean, no wonder she's on Saturday Night Live and for so long. It's um, she's I love great when she's like, you can clearly see that she's into Aldous also. Yeah. And then she sees Sarah Marshall. Oh, I know you, of course, from your TV show. Wow, you're. You're a lot shorter than I yeah. remember. <laughs> Just like that's these, like these passive aggressive digs. The comp that's something that's really funny, and I think when characters do that, or they give a compliment in comedy, but it's it's actually like a dig, mm -hmm. and because that's something that happens in real life. Like you know, I've definitely gotten that before from people. Like it's funny, like because you're like, yeah, people definitely. It's something they do a lot in Mean Girls. Yeah, um, and it's kind of takes from the same vein there, but yeah, so funny. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's great. The whole supporting cast is top notch and just in a few scenes, you know, even even stupid throwaway lines like you know, oh, that's my island name. Yeah. <laughs> or that's my mainland name. I'll give you an island name. Yeah. Well, oh. What's it mean? Chuck. <laughs> yeah. And then when he's out on the water with Peter and he's like, oh, yeah, man, I'm sorry. I don't Because he asked him what Peter asks Chuck what time it is. He's like, I don't have a watch out here. And Peter's like, oh, that's cool. You know, and he's like, yeah, I just phone. use the one on my phone. <laughs> it's making him seem like, oh, I don't I don't pay attention to time out in Hawaii. But um, and then Jason's like, oh, so this is the same thing then, right? One of my favorite quotes is um, I saw him once beat up a man with a starfish. <laughs> what? That's impossible. That man was me. Yeah. <laughs> he delivers it so good. Oh, and I love how Chuck like forgets who Peter is. Like they they spend that whole scene on the ocean and have all those conversations and later he introduces himself to him again. Two twice. Yeah. <laughs> but the first time Peter's like genuinely upset. He's like, We had that great conversation. Like, yeah. how you like, Oh, that's me? cool. Yeah. Goes back to drinking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yeah. funny. Whole supporting cast is amazing and I mean just I, I think that they really kind of elevate the movie from like, you know, middling comedy to it's got some legs. It's got some legacy. Mm-hmm. What's your third and final shot? Um, So my third shot is about another type of satire. I think this movie is just great at satire. But um, Russell Brand's character, um, Aldous Snow, I think is a <laughs> total like satirical depiction of artists like John Mayer that mm-hmm. were popular at the time. I mean, at the beginning, he even has a song that says, we need a change or something. We need to do something. Yeah, do something, which is basically John Mayer's song, Waiting on the World to Change, okay? Like, I recognize (laughs) that now, like, watching it, I'm like, this is totally like a dig at John Mayer. He's like this womanizing, like, soulful artist. and He's a rock and roller in a time when rock and roll is not as, uh, really as popular yeah. Um, starting to be on the decline. Yeah. And it's like in, I think this, you know, 2000s era, the, what are they called? The aughts? Yeah. 2000, 2010. It's a lot of soft rock. Like that was the thing, getting into like alternative rock. And mm-hmm. I think that Russell Brand's character is is just like a funny kind of depiction of that. Um, I think Russell Brand in this movie, he keeps it just on the whole time. And by that, I mean, he is in character like nonstop like playing this like douchey kind of narcissistic guy like from every second of the movie he just, <laughs> he just like it, he's got it down and it's really funny and it works and it's like you hate him like I hate his character but I like and I know that's why it works you know he's so good in this movie but yeah you can't take your eyes off because you're just like transfixed by the absurd shit that he's doing yeah you know like there's that scene where he shows mcbrayer how to have sex oh (laughs) yeah they're like doing it with the chest set yeah it was like yeah stuff like that is so funny and Um, then he performs inside of you like at a nice fourth of july party with like soft acoustic guitar playing in the background oh yeah that's the funniest part oh my god yeah, the, the songs that have, like, this kind of explicit themes but are done with this, like, soulful, soft rock sounding, total, just hilarious um, satire. Yeah, they're actually com- kind of good. Yeah. Like, at least inside of you is yeah. actually kind of good. It is. It's, it's, it's pretty very funny. catchy. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I think that that, um, and I think, you know, I wonder if, you know, the idea of, like, him being a rock star and Sarah Marshall being... Um, TV, TV and then um, Peter being a um, musician for a show if this was kind of all inspired by um, Jason Siegel who wrote also wrote the movies like experiences living in Hollywood and LA and like probably meeting people like this mm-hmm. and because you know it, the movie is definitely poking fun at a lot of famous people industries right and so I'm sure he knows a lot of these kind of people in real life and probably had a lot of great inspiration. Yeah. (laughs) They're, they're definitely like over the top caricatures, but they're like done in a way that is hilariously, you know, hilariously funny would be, uh, redundant. redundant. So I'm just going (laughs) to say hilarious. (laughs) It's all good. I'll just make it so you say hilarious. Um, you can keep it in. It's fine. Keep it in. I corrected myself. So, 
Oh, own it. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think I think Brand is great. He's I I don't put him in a supporting role because I think he just does so many great things, and some of his comedic timing is just really good too. Also, where he's just like. You know, that scene where he's, like, making fun of her for the fake orgasms? Oh, I, yeah. I thought that was hilarious where he's just he's like... He's like, my feelings were really hurt. Yeah. <laughs> I was <laughs> really hurt. He's like, you gave a ghastly performance. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just going to go clear off now. And then and then he's like, what does he say when he sees Peter after they become, like, cool with each other? Because oh, he's, yeah. like, on the upswing and he's leaving. He breaks up with Sarah, too, so he's leaving Hawaii. And then he's like... How you served five years of that? Like, I'm not yeah. going to do an accent, but how you served five years of that? It's I'm not going to say it's like Hitler, but it's kind of like, well, being with Hitler. Yeah. It's just, it's a stupid joke, but it's kind of funny. His delivery is good. Yeah. He's such an over-the-top character that it's all, and he, he, he like you said, his delivery, all these act, actors, like you were saying, they, they totally own their characters. Like they, they become their characters. Absolutely. They, none of them are phoning it in. In this one. No, and that's what makes it good. So my last shot is the parallel between Sarah and Rachel, our main uh, female leads in this movie. I think that something that I never caught is that both of them, I mean, there's the obvious like differences in how they treat Peter, Mm -hmm. who is like the main character. And, uh, you know, we can talk about how the flashbacks make it very overt, you know, because... Rachel tells him you don't have to dote on me and then Peter flashes back to all the times he was held he was holding purses off to the side while Sarah does red carpet photo shoots right and it's really obvious that there's he's saying okay she's nothing like her or she's very different and I think I respond better to that um and then there's the uh the the other more like kind of subliminal message of the movie is that Rachel supports his dream and encourages him and gets him out of his shell and mm-hmm. gets him to try uh, to uh, perform his his Dracula musical and inspires him to do that. Whereas we get the flashback to when he played it for Sarah and she was just like, oh, yeah, I don't really understand it. Please don't play it again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like she's not thinking about him in that sense. She's thinking about how it affects her. And that kind of selfish mentality is what, he want he needs to get over he needs to get away from that's the whole point of the movie here's one that i didn't catch until this rewatch they both say to peter at one point in the movie i miss you because sarah says it to him like when she's like broken up with aldis and she's again just completely self-centered and not really thinking about anybody else but her or peter or any of that she's just like I feel bad, and it was it's after the dinner scene, which is a great. I can't believe we didn't talk about the dinner scene, but the <laughs> dinner scene where all four of them is just hilarious because you got Aldis making fun of the shirt that she got him, <laughs> um, and and Jonah Hill like popping off. But after that scene, and 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 Sarah realizing that that Peter was like you know really good to her and a really good guy, and she lost him by being selfish. She tries to get him back in another selfish way and tries to like seduce him. And she's like, Oh God, I've missed you. I've missed you. And like that whole thing, I think, kind of shocks him out of the whole experience and causes him to realize what he's done. Then he goes, tells the truth to Rachel, all that shit. The last 10 minutes of the movie transpire. But in that last scene, the last line of the movie is, I've missed you. Mm-hmm. And Rather than shy away from it, he embraces her because he's like, okay, I know that you actually do care about me. You flew all the way from Hawaii to LA to see me play. It's like you actually give a damn, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I think that that is so interesting that, you know, the two characters say the same line in completely different ways. That's a really good catch. I never caught that before. But yeah, it's such a good point because Sarah's is so insincere, like you said. Um, and it's just because she, Great way to put she it. wants to go back to her uh, safety person. Mm-hmm. That's who, how she treats him, basically. Like a um, doormat. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think that, you know, that whole last 20 minutes or whatever where he contemplates getting back with Sarah and kind of does in a way, but then regrets it. And then has to be on his own for a while and gets through his... his his shit 
by himself, you know, writes his musical without anyone else, just him. And then, you know, kind of has the romantic comedy ending where Rachel comes back. I think it's a it's a very interesting sequence. We'll probably talk about it in the last call. But I think your point about how Rachel actually supports his dreams is really important because, yeah, she wants him to play his music at the bar. She wants to hear it. And she tells him to finish it. And he, I think, also kind of less aggressively encourages her to pursue her dreams by asking her questions about, you going know, why didn't you think about going back to college? And yeah. at the end, she feels like, you know, finally someone is like paying enough attention and kind of gets her thinking about her own life and ends up deciding to go to college. Mm-hmm. And I love that, how she doesn't just come back to L.A., to like chase after him, although that's a good reason, you know, if you're truly in love with someone, but also that it shows that they both are supporting each other's dreams and she's going there and not only to be with him, but also they're going to pursue their dreams together. He's going to continue, you know, presumably writing music and she's going to um, go to college. And I think that's really cool. But I probably just talked a lot about what we we're going to talk about at the end. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, yeah, I think I wanted to talk at the end more about uh, the music and the the absurdity of the end as opposed to the relationship message. But I think you're absolutely right. The Peter-Rachel relationship has a much stronger foundation, a much better bedrock mm-hmm. than obviously he has with Sarah. And so, you know, he ends up with, in my opinion, the right person at the end, you know, mm-hmm. and like, uh, I think it's pretty, uh, it's pretty clear cut. Yeah. So with that, we have talked about our top three things with this now 13 year old comedy. Pretty crazy mm-hmm. to think about, but there are some great parts of it that hold up. Highly encourage you to guys to watch the unrated version. That's been it for triple shot. So now we're going to talk about the end of this movie. Like we talk about the ends of all the movies we do on this podcast because we like to discuss why directors choose to end movies. Like why the last shot is the last shot and why all good things must end. You know what time it is. Last call. Okay, so last call. I think really the the last, um, I don't know if you want to say act or maybe it's even like an epilogue starts in this movie when it's right after um, <laughs> you need a psychiatrist. I don't want to. Like it's like singing to <laughs> yeah. himself, trying to like convince himself, will himself into playing again. And he's just like playing his thoughts, stream of consciousness style out loud. It's really funny. Um, but that right after that, there's a scene where he wakes up, goes to the piano and starts playing like some somber intro to his Dracula song. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when the tone completely changes. And that's when it becomes, you know, that James L. Brooksian, Judd Apatowian kind of like, um, feels where you're like, okay, the message of this movie, even though it's just been comedy for 90 minutes is going to have some emotion to it where he starts to kind of, you know, hit the treadmill, change some of his stuff, spend more time with his family, really start to turn his life around, culminating finally with the marquee of the theater where he's going to be performing his musical, which is like a huge win. I, and before you get to the musical, is it okay if I, or I just want to say something real quick? Yeah. Um, I, I love that sequence that you just described because it's like he's taking baby steps to sort of, even though the movie doesn't really delve deep into like the, difficult issue of depression i think it does address it a little bit and i love how the way that you know it shows him working through his struggles is that he takes baby steps like you said it shows him starting with just playing anything and then starting to play some more and then visiting people small groups that he and then doing a little bit of the treadmill like it's baby steps and i think that it doesn't just show him going from nothing to a superstar like some movies show that and they don't really it's not realistic but this movie shows like baby steps of him coming out of sort of this darkness and i think that's a really nice touch even though it's quick you know they they don't have the whole movie to show it but i I really like that i agree i i think that that's like a very effective way to do it because they don't 
layer on that stuff really thick, mm -hmm. you know, and some movies do, but this one just kind of has an addition for it. And then finally we get to the puppet, <laughs> <laughs> the puppet musical of Dracula, yeah. which is hilarious. Just the concept is hilarious, but the way it's performed, it's, I, you know, I've never had the privilege of seeing a puppet ventriloquist musical, but I, if it's anything like they showed in this one with actors in like complete bodysuits in black, but also they sing their, their puppets parts, that just seems like that's so far out for amazing. me. Uh, yeah, it does seem amazing. Like I, and I say far out, I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, I've never even considered that as a possibility. And so I would love to see that actually happen. I'm pretty sure. When I was a kid, I either saw one at like a church for a Christmas thing or I I definitely have seen some on TV. Like I think my old oh, yeah, babysitter, well, besides the Muppets, like would watch like Christmas specials where they do that. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it's a real popular thing. I think, I don't know if it's as popular now, but I think it would be really fun to go see one. And I love how the line, it's just kind of blink and you miss it. But he says when people are congratulating him, he's like, yeah, I mean, I didn't really know it was a comedy until people told me it was a comedy. And then I, <laughs> I mean, like, which I think is like a funny, like nod to some people like who enjoy writing, creating stuff. And, and they're like, oh, I didn't mean for it to be that way. But if, if people perceive it that way, then great. Right, you know, yeah. Um, like my pain, it's a comedy. That's great. You yeah. Know, I think that's really funny. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that's totally a writer's like inside <laughs> joke kind of thing. Um, but yeah, the success. The musical is a success. He even has his brother <laughs> have a role in it, playing Van Helsing. Oh, yeah. Just so funny. Haters just <laughs> owning it, overacting like crazy. It's amazing. Uh, and then to Peter's surprise, who he saw in the audience, Rachel. She mm -hmm. came. She's in L.A. Like you said, she tells him that she's finally going to go to school, but she wanted to see him. She congratulates him. And it seems like they're just kind of going to go their separate ways. Um, and then Peter goes to the dressing room. And, uh, you know, is getting ready to, I don't know why he has to make a, f a phone call naked, but he gets out his phone. He's making a phone call naked. Um, it turns out he's going to call Rachel, but Rachel was on her way back into the dressing room, sees him. He's naked, covers his privates, <laughs> and it's really funny and embarrassing. It's like childish almost. Yeah. But then uh, she says, you know, they're laughing. They're laughing at the situation, the absurdity of it. I mean... You have to think that it has to be pretty absurd that they just watched and made a Dracula musical. And uh, he's like, wow, this is the most embarrassing thing I've ever been in. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, it, you know, he, he bears himself, his soul, bears his soul to this woman that he has fallen in love with. And, uh, and she says, I missed you. And then they kind of, you know, rekindle it. Then... We get uh, a nice drum fill and Aldous Snow's Inside of You <laughs> just starts playing again and pan over to the two puppets that played Dracula and his wife. Little heart uh, to close the movie screen. I don't know what you call that uh, when you have like the, the screen filling with black except for like one little circle. There's like a technical... Fade to black? No. Well, no, it's not quite a fade. It's, like, it's just yeah. like that one little image like that powerpoint transition yeah, film editing nerds are, are losing their minds right now but um yeah i just it, that yeah. that pinhole and entrance with a heart mm -hmm. or exit with a heart is how they close the film and that's the last shot then roll credits yeah i i like it because i mean it is a little cheesy because it's like any good rom-com you got to have some of that at the end and I like that, you know. I like watching rom coms. I, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, it. But you know, sometimes it can be like over the top, even for me. But this one, I think they tried to kind of get past that a little bit by being like, okay, we got this typical, uh, typical ending, but we're gonna do some fun stuff with it, like the puppets and play that song. Do you think that Peter, being depressed and inside of his home is like Dracula being reclusive in his castle. And that's why that last shot is like of Dracula, the puppet and Dracula's wife, who is a vampire like him and shows the similarities that Peter and Rachel have throughout the movie. He had to find somebody that, you know, vibed with him, that complimented him rather than tore him down. Constantly. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? That's a great, that's awesome because it's so true. I think they found each other and they both kind of 
brought each other out of their shell and like you said are with somebody that builds them up Mm -hmm. and they were able to come out into the light so to speak kind of like yeah. got a lot of vampire themes going on. Yeah, I don't know the lore mm-hmm. of the Br- Dracula's wife like mm-hmm. at all, but I I mean yeah, I just have to imagine that they don't they well, they wouldn't just pan over to the two puppets just for shits and gigs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they probably would, but I I like to think that they don't because There's- there has to be some metaphorical connection between Dracula of all people and Peter this reclusive dude that goes to Hawaii to get mm-hmm. away the land of sunshine and he can't have a good time being in the land of sunshine because his, his ex-girlfriend's there. Yeah, and I think one of the greatest ideas of, of this and Peter getting over his slump is that he does all of those typical things that you would do where you um, you know, start exercising, start seeing your friends and stuff, but he also writes some kind of depressing stuff like in his mind the dracula even though other people perceive it as a comedy his musical is kind of sad and i think that that's him working through his pain and it's kind of cool to see like as a result of that when he's done with that creative process he finally feels better and i think that's kind of showing how some for some people working through your pain creatively or getting out stuff in a creative setting can really help you move past things, even if it seems like, oh, this is kind of depressing to write about. But it it shows, like like you said, the songs that he's writing are really sad sounding, but it's ultimately that action of writing this thing that gets him out and, and and helps him start feeling better. So I think that's really a cool way to sort of have the last couple scenes in the movie. I agree. Yeah, and and you couple that with... The whole message of the movie, it's a nice end point to it. So good ending, has some good feels, and still ends on a comedic note because the dude is like, you know, hugging his new his girlfriend in the nude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just funny. It's a nice uh, full circle because he tries to do that. Another parallel, he tries to hug Sarah in the nude and she just leaves him. <laughs> yeah. So. That's yeah. true. <laughs> that, I think, is going to wrap it for forgetting Sarah Marshall. Boy, isn't English great for forgetting (laughs) Sarah Marshall? Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode, the first of 2021. We've got a lot more exciting stuff planned for you this wonderful year. Next week, we're going to be doing... Marissa, why don't you tell the listeners what we're going to be doing next week? Because this was a super last minute decision that we are going to go and go ahead and double down on. Okay. So we are going to do um, a movie that came out last year. 2020, right? yeah, um, 2020. Did it come out in January of 2020? No, it came out, actually, it came out, I think, December 2019. Okay, yeah, so, it was. it's a Netflix movie, a Michael Bay movie starring Ryan Reynolds. It's still on Netflix. You can watch it uh, before our next episode. It's called Six Underground. Mm-hmm. And it is a... Uh, Balls to the wall action movie. movie. Yeah. um, That's all I'm going to say about that for now. I Um, think that's all there is to say. Yeah. Why are we doing an episode? Because there is a Negroni in it. Yeah. Our end drink. And there is a lot to talk about, I feel like. that You know, this movie is the culmination of a lot of things and a lot of genres and a lot of half ideas that coming together actually work um the idea of a netflix movie that there's a lot of netflix movies that are being just churned out and you know is that a good thing is that a bad thing do we just like you know entertainment sometimes i think yes so um but can we sit through this i don't know this will be our third time watching it i don't know why we've seen it twice don't ask me um no (laughs) we have we've had good reasons to watch it but um, it'll be a great discussion. I think I'm looking forward to it. And uh, Negronis are delicious. We actually have a friend who is a bartender, like a real one, not like, well, we're amateurs, right? But he made us some, some before and it was really good. Yeah. I'm going to go and ask him if he can make us more. <laughs> so I think, um, it'll be a great episode. So we're looking forward to that. If you want to stay up to date on our drinks and get previews of the drinks, including recipes and stuff like that, go ahead, follow us at MomixPod, M-O-M-I-X-P-O-D, on Facebook, 
or Instagram. Um, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Either way, go ahead, leave us a review if you have time. Just, you know, even say something like, hey, Marissa, you sound nice. You sound like a nice person. <laughs> even that would I be really, good. I think I sound very mean. No. I, I probably am the meanest Have person. you heard yourself? <laughs> no. Come on. Um, that's Dom. <laughs> Shout out Dom from the Die Hard episode. If you haven't listened to that, you can listen to Dom all of our- Dom is a very nice person. Yeah, okay. You, if you haven't heard that episode or any of the other ones we released in 2020, go check us out on wherever you get your podcasts. But just saying, Apple and Spotify, probably the easiest ways to do that. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, I think that's it. Marissa, anything to add before we depart for our first episode of 2021? No, other than just thanks for listening. Um, thanks for sticking with us through the new year. We're so excited to um, keep getting to do this. Uh, it's so much fun. I couldn't agree more. All right. Thank you, guys. See you next week.